Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokens Non-token lovers of liberty It is Thursday, May 19, 2016 And it's got to be 420 Somewhere in the world and somewhere in the world today is Washington, D.C., coming to you from our nation's capital, pulled up here in Hotel Lombardi on Pennsylvania Avenue, just a few blocks away from the White House, and I just got into this room an hour ago, so it's been a fast and furious setup here, but we are on the air, we are live, and so glad to be talking to each and every one of you out there in the Cannabis Radio Nation. We're so happy to have you, and make sure you tell everyone you know about CannabisRadio.com, and not just the Russ Belville Show, but all the other great shows that we've got online for you. Today's show, uh, like I said, it's kind of fast and furious setup, but while I was in the air today, flying from Portland to Minneapolis to Washington, D.C., all sorts of great news happened in the world of medical marijuana, in the world of decriminalization, in the world of our military veterans, in the presidential campaign. We got a ton of headlines to get to. They're coming up right after this first break in our cannabis radio news, so stay tuned for that. Also coming up on the show today, in Behind the Headlines, we're going to take a look at the fight for marijuana legalization in California and how the police and prison guards unions are raising money to fight it. You remember when cops used to say, we don't make laws, we just enforce them? Well, that's not the case when it comes to marijuana. They're all about making the laws when it comes to marijuana. So we'll tell you all about that in Behind the Headlines. In our drug war data mining today, we're going to take a look at the campaign in Arizona, where there's a little bit of hypocrisy going on on the fundraising against the Arizona Marijuana Legalization Initiative. We'll tell you all about that and the campaign to embarrass the police and the district attorneys and all these people that are trying to fight to keep us criminals. So we'll tell you about that in drug war data mining. At half past on the show today, it is a Thursday, and every other Thursday we visit from law enforcement against prohibition in our segment that we call Cops Say Legalized Drugs. we got Tim Johnson joining us. He's a retired patrol officer from the state of Ohio, so we'll ask him about his opinion on what's going on with Ohio's medical legislation and the possibilities of legalizing marijuana in the Midwest. And then we'll take it all to the radical rant, and in the rant today... We're going to talk a little bit about the ongoing campaigns to legalize marijuana and the ridiculous opposition that we hear from some people who should know better, people who smoke pot themselves and yet want to fight to keep us all criminals, people that say they want legalization but are doing everything they can to hand a victory to Kevin Sabet and Project Sam. That's right. We're going to talk about stoners against legalization coming up in the Radical Rant today. And then in Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio will take your calls here at 971-533-7111. And we've got more news on seniors and marijuana, some great statistics showing how they are the fastest growing number of 
marijuana users in the country. It's not about the children. It's what about the seniors? We'll also talk a little bit more about the Veterans Administration and the outcome of this new amendment that has been passed that we're going to tell you about in the Cannabis Radio News. And we've got uh, more information from all around the country, various states, various counties that have had their elections, and whether or not they're choosing to ban or accept marijuana businesses. All that's coming up on today's Russ Belville Show. Stay tuned. We're right back in two minutes. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. Mention the Synergy Show podcast on CannabisRadio.com. And don't try to debate me on something. Motherfucker, I can't do many things well. But words are my shit. The Stoner Jesus Show. Live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. The Russ Belleville Show, providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, May 19th, 2016. Washington, D.C., The House of Representatives voted 233 to 189 today to allow Veterans Administration doctors to recommend medical marijuana for vets in the 25 legal medical marijuana states. The amendment to block federal spending to enforce a gag order on VA doctors was proposed by Oregon Congressman Earl Blumenauer and was narrowly defeated by three votes last year. 
The amendment is on the House's broader $81.6 billion bill funding military construction and veterans programs in the fiscal year starting October 1st. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Governor John Bell Edwards has signed a bill to kickstart and expand Louisiana's medical marijuana program, which has been slow to begin because of regulatory hurdles. As he signed the new law Thursday, the Democratic governor said the program will have a dramatic effect on Louisiana's families. The bill, by Republican Senator Fred Mills, broadens the program to cover more diseases and makes regulatory changes aimed at getting marijuana in an oil form into patients' hands more quickly. Sheriffs and district attorneys opposed the bill, but lawmakers sided with parents who said their children's medical conditions could be helped with therapeutic marijuana. Edwards signed the bill as Katie Cochran looked on with her son Connor, who has a rare brain disorder that causes uncontrollable seizures. Springfield, Illinois, Governor Bruce Rauner says he may be comfortable with legislation to decriminalize possession of small amounts of marijuana in Illinois, but the Republicans stopped short of promising to sign the bill. The Illinois House gave the measure final approval Wednesday. Because it already has passed the Illinois Senate, the next step is the governor's desk. The bill includes recommendations Rauner issued when he vetoed a decriminalization measure last year. Rauner says he has to review the bill, but that if it includes what he recommended, he'll, quote, probably be comfortable with it, end quote. The governor made the comments Thursday. The bill would impose fines of up to $200 for possession of 10 grams or less of marijuana, but no jail time. It also sets a standard for what's considered too high to drive. San Jose, California. Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders supports the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, California's marijuana legalization initiative likely to be on the ballot this fall, saying, quote, I do not live in California, the Vermont senator told supporters at a rally, but if I lived in California, I would vote yes to legalize marijuana, end quote. Senator Sanders is campaigning in California ahead of the June 7th primaries, continuing his insurgent campaign all the way to the Democratic convention, despite trailing Secretary Hillary Clinton in pledged delegates and superdelegates. Sanders argues that he is the better general election candidate against Donald Trump, backed by many recent polls of the hypothetical presidential matchups. Lansing, Michigan. Groups collecting signatures for statewide ballot drives could submit those only collected within a firm 180-day period under legislation passed by a divided House Wednesday and expected to land on Governor Rick Snyder's desk soon. The bill, which would take effect immediately if signed, is a response to a marijuana legalization ballot committee's plan to try to more easily qualify old signatures. The board's state The Board of State Canvassers last week deadlocked on allowing petition backers to use a digital voter registration database to rebut a presumption that signatures older than 180 days are void or stale, which has effectively served as a 180-day limit in practice for decades. It would have been an easier process than visiting local clerks across the state to get an affidavit showing that an individual voter was registered both at the time they signed the petition and during the 180-day window. Juneau, Alaska, House and Senate negotiators have advanced legislation that would give unincorporated communities the ability to hold elections to decide whether to prohibit legal Alaska marijuana businesses. Unincorporated communities outside of organized boroughs also would be able to hold elections to reverse any prohibitions they might enact under that bill that advanced Monday. The bill would impose a statewide household limit of 12 marijuana plants. Current law allows local governments to bar pot businesses through voter initiative or ordinance, but doesn't address so-called established villages. A disagreement over how to treat unincorporated areas tied up the bill with the Senate version proposing to bar marijuana businesses in those areas unless they opted in. 
This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, May 19th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Maui Wowie. Acapulco Gold. California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. This is Cannabis Facts from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. Supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. In 1937, the second most prescribed medicine, marijuana, was banned. It wasn't about marijuana. The paper, oil, and chemical industries lobbied to end hemp farming. No longer labor-intensive, an acre of hemp produced more quality paper than four acres of trees. Plastics and fibers could be produced from a plant. Hemp can even produce ten times the energy of today's ethanol. As marijuana prohibition ends, many states now allow farmers to again grow hemp. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to process America's hemp crop at hempinc.com. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, SoundCloud, Snapchat, LinkedIn and Boise State University's 2400 baud modem bulletin board system from 1985. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at the state of California, where, of course, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act is gearing up to make the ballot and legalize marijuana in the Golden State. There's a great piece up on The Intercept by Lee Fang. Uh, yesterday, it was posted called Prison and Police or Police and Prison Guard Groups Fight Marijuana Legalization in California. And the gist of this is that the uh, the prison guards and the cops are being led by a lobbyist named John Lovell, and he's uh, been lobbying for them for years. He's created what's called the Coalition for Responsible Drug Policies, and they've raised $60,000 during the first three months of the year. And this $60,000 is coming from the California Police Chiefs Association, the Riverside Sheriff's Association, the Los Angeles Police Protective League's Issues Pack, and the California Correctional Supervisors Organization. Also, they've gotten some money from Sam Action. 
And this is a new one here. Sam Action is Project Sam's political action committee. They've got a pack now. They're actually getting enough money that they can start throwing money against legalization. And this just goes to show you what this is really all about. And it's about the bottom line for law enforcement agencies. The cops get federal grants from the Justice Department to help focus on drug enforcement. These are called burn grants, B-Y-R-N-E. You can look it up on the net. Uh, Justice Assistance Grants, JAG Grants, they call them. And they get these specifically to fight drug uh, enforcement. And when it comes to drug enforcement, there's specific funding for focusing on marijuana. So right there, if your state legalizes marijuana, if you're the Riverside Sheriff's Department or you're the California police chiefs, you recognize that that grant money is gone. At least the marijuana grant money is gone. Once your state legalizes marijuana, there's not a whole lot of call for raids and busting people. And that's what these cops and prison guards are all upset about. They know that we marijuana consumers are the grist of the drug war mill. Without marijuana consumers, there's not enough druggies to make this worth their while. Part of the problem is people that enjoy other drugs, cocaine, meth, heroin, have a tendency to sometimes die, and they also have a tendency to want to kick those drugs. But marijuana is a substance that a person can use their entire life. It can become a part of their lifestyle. And that's why, combined with the fact that marijuana smells so much and that it is so easily detectable on drug tests, that is why marijuana has been the foundation of the drug war. We already know that over half of all arrests in the drug war are for marijuana. And of those drug war arrests for marijuana, seven out of eight of them are for mere possession. So when you take away the ability of cops to be able to mess with people for the smell of marijuana, to be able to conduct investigations based on the sight of marijuana, to be able to bust down people's doors on an anonymous tip that there might be some marijuana, when those things go away, cops are forced to have to actually go after real criminals, forced to actually enforce laws that we want to see enforced in this country, and they don't want to see their easy gravy train come to an end. Another part of this, of course, is asset forfeiture. In asset forfeiture, they can take your stuff if it's merely uh, suspected of being part of drug proceeds. From 2002 to 2012, 10-year span, California agencies reaped $181.4 million from marijuana-related asset seizures. That's just the marijuana-related ones, $181.4 million, $18 million a year on average. And of course, once you legalize marijuana, asset forfeiture proceeds disappear. The Wall Street Journal reported in 2014 that when Washington State legalized their um, their marijuana there that they lost their asset forfeitures. So you know these guys don't want to lose the money from the grants. They don't want to lose the eradication. They don't want to lose the overtime they get when they get to fly in helicopters and pull up weeds in the forest. It's clear why these law enforcers are the primary donors to opposing marijuana legalization. And the only ones that are joining them 
are the greedy growers and the I got mine crowd in medical marijuana that also doesn't want to see the competition for their easy cash cow. So if you're fighting against marijuana legalization in California, you're helping the cops. I am so full of anticipation that my genitals have sucked up into my body cavity. <laughs> well, that's pretty exciting. But I'm serious about this. I've got people on my Facebook page, longtime California activists, I've interviewed them on the show, that I'm having to unfriend. Because I'm sorry, I won't be friends with someone who's helping the cops keep me a criminal. Friends like that, I don't need enemies. Be back in just two minutes. How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com Dr. Dabber, hurry! Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up! I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. Previously on the Stoner Jesus Show. We do have John McAfee. He's running for the Libertarian Party nomination for president. What makes <laughs> someone like you want to take the reins of this? We're so far behind this frightening and in a cyber war. We can't hack into the Chinese. Back in 1979, they started building cyber defense systems. We didn't even think about it until 20 years ago. I've seen no candidates and certainly no one within government capable of dealing with this issue. The Stoner Jesus Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the data mines, I have to once again say, I told you so. For the longest time, as we've been gearing up to legalize marijuana from, let's say, 2010 with Prop 19, uh, throughout all of these discussions, one of the fears we get back from the opponents is Watsi. What about the children? Oh, my God, we can't be legalizing marijuana because then there'll be more access for children. Children will think marijuana is okay. What the hell will we do? Well, it turns out that the kids already have the access they've got. They, for the past 40 years, 
The Monitoring the Future survey has asked 12th graders whether it was easy or fairly easy to get a hold of marijuana, and that number has never been below 80%. For 40 years, at least four out of five high school seniors have said, oh yeah, I could get some weed if I wanted to, no problem. So how could their access possibly go up under legalization? It's going to dry up some of the black market. It's going to reduce the prices to make it a little less profitable. And the legal places selling the weed will check IDs. So there can't possibly be more access for teenagers than the 80 to 90% that they've had over the past 40 years. What I've been saying this whole time, ever since Prop 19, is that legalization of marijuana is not for the teenagers. It's not for the college-age young people. Legalization of marijuana is for the old farts like me. Well, now, I'm not that old. I'm 48 years old. But seniors, it turns out, is who legalization is for. Because people in their 40s and 50s and 60s and older don't have a guy. They just can't go out behind the shop class and find the guy that sells bags. They need legal access. And they're not about to go find a guy because they don't want to risk their homes and their jobs and their security. But now that marijuana legalization has taken root in four states and soon to be in six more, we find seniors are the fastest growing demographic of pot users. This is in CBS Evening News, folks. (laughs) CBS Evening News today, this morning, says the 55 and older crowd is now the fastest growing demographic of pot users in the country. Between 2013 and 2014, the number increased from 2.8 million to 4.3 million. We have increased and added 1.5 million senior tokers in just one year. They talked to uh, an 80-year-old woman who says she uses it to help uh, mobility and other seniors who point out that they use so many prescription pills that being able to use marijuana is getting them off of those prescription pills. The uh, stats here are pretty telling. Seniors are only 14% of the nation's population, but they use more than 30% of all prescription drugs. Marijuana use is up 53% with the 55 and older crowd. And it's kind of ironic because when you look at the demographics and the polls for marijuana legalization, you find seniors are the least likely to be supporting marijuana legalization. And they are the ones that can benefit the most from it. There are so many seniors that I've had the chance to talk to people that had had experience with marijuana back in the day, maybe in the sixties at the summer of love or the seventies in college or wherever it might've been. And so many of them are coming back to marijuana. They're coming back to the cannabis culture and the legality of cannabis is making that possible for them. Legalizing marijuana for these people. And especially you think the senior use is up now. Consider what it's going to be in a year after we've had a, had chance for this uh, Blumenauer amendment to take effect where our Vietnam veterans could finally get their VA doctors to recommend medical cannabis for their post-traumatic stress, for their traumatic brain injury, for their chronic pain, for whatever it is they might be suffering from. The idea that marijuana is some sort of drug of the youth over the next 10 to 20 years is going to begin to fade. 
I predict that marijuana is going to become somewhat passe for young people. Yeah, it's somewhat like uh, really not that big a deal, nothing to really get too uh, excited about. It's going to turn into an old person's medicine. It's going to turn in to milk of magnesia. You remember Philips Milk of Magnesia, right? Or Ensure, or any of these products that are generally aimed at people 55 and older. That's the kind of cachet it's going to have with young people. It's going to be as popular to them as wanting to drink an Ensure or drink Philips Milk of Magnesia or anything else that might be considered for, quote, old people, end quote. This is a wonderful development, and the idea that we're getting more medical marijuana more marijuana generally to seniors is nothing but a good thing. And and the more this becomes reality, the more outlets like CBS News keep showing the face of the cannabis consumer as an older person, as grandma or grandpa, the less people in these more uh, conservative states are going to be able to oppose it. The more they're going to recognize that, hey, if if grannies and grandpas in in California and Oregon and all these other states, these older people are using it without much incident and the use by the youth isn't going up, which we have not found in the in the marijuana states so far in the legal marijuana states, youth use has remained steady. It's the older folks use that's going up just as I predicted. Marijuana legalization is for the seniors. It's for the adults. What about the children? I'll tell you what about the children. Legalize marijuana and make it boring to them. Make it dull. Make it every day. Make it commonplace. Take away the forbidden fruit aspect of it. We're seeing that happen already in the West, and it's going to happen all around the United States. We're just going to keep on going until it's legal in all 50 all right, we got to take a break, and when we come back, cops say legalize drugs. We've got a great guest joining us. Stick around. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. And if standing for the Constitution make you a wacko bird, then I am a very, very proud wacko bird. Okay, maybe you're high too. 
Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a Resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has National Resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the fingerboard extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. One of the most disturbing elements of the Prohibition War is how it's made police the enemy of otherwise law-abiding cannabis consumers. Fortunately, one group of police officers knows the futility of Prohibition and reaches out to educate the community and current law enforcement. Today, the Russ Belleville Show visits with another speaker from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition with one clear message. Cops say legalized drugs. All right, welcome back. Today in our Cops Say Legalized Drugs segment, we're going to be visiting with Tim Johnson. He's a retired police officer in Ohio. And uh, let's see if we got Tim on the line. Tim, can you hear me okay? Hello, Tim. Hello, Tim. Tim, do we have you? Yeah, I'm here, Russ. You there? Yes, I'm here. Sorry about that connection there. It was a little shaky at first, but glad to have you here. And uh, I understand that you're a uh, new speaker with Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Yes, I am, and very excited to get things going. So tell me about your experience as a patrol officer in Ohio and why that led you to want to join LEAP. Uh, well, Russ, I started out uh, out of the military. Um Completed my criminal justice degree in law enforcement. Um, worked in the private sector for a while, and then I got into uh, actually the department there in the central Ohio area. Um, led me into working for 20 years with two different departments. Um, upon what I've seen on the streets, the activities, the training that we went through, uh, people's lives being destroyed and ruined over uh, simple things, as, just as simple as cannabis, um, the problems that we had in our judicial system and so forth, I probably led me to follow Lee for a long time until I was out of the, actually I retired from the career field. Then I was able to speak out, actually use my First Amendment right then. And uh, seeing what Leap has done and what they were looking to do and still do to this day led me into uh, wanting to be a part of their team. So as a, as a patrol officer, then you would have the opportunity to uh meet people in traffic situations. How much does marijuana uh, play into the traffic stop and how much is it used by cops to try to go after other possible crimes? I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. And I don't mean to sound sarcastic, but uh, it's a number one tool for law enforcement in their training to uh, address traffic accidents. to hopefully get that little smell or to see some little paraphernalia in the vehicle that would lead to uh, an interview or an interrogation of an individual, possibly an arrest, which ultimately could lead into a search warrant uh, to a residency or to another facility. Um, it's just the way we were trained. It's what we did. Uh, we're actually very successful at it. Uh, as I said, unfortunately, for the, the people that uh, we dealt with on the streets and so forth, sometimes that when it didn't go there, work out for them, uh, I've seen a lot of lives and a lot of families get ruined over it. Hmm. 
Do you think then that uh, that part of the reason police are, are kind of uh, resisting the legalization of marijuana isn't so much that they're afraid of marijuana, it's that it takes a tool out of their toolkit? It definitely takes a tool out of the toolkit. Um, it's also an administrative push. Uh, as we know what they call uh, quotas, and they found those to be um, illegal, so to say. So they since named them uh, standard or standard performance guidelines um, to see how the officer does and if they're actually out there working during the month or during that training period is what I found to be uh, being a field training officer myself for 15 years and having to put new guys through this type of training. Um, it was just as part of the pressure, part of the job, part of the administrative stuff. It's a definite uh, supplement to especially smaller departments, budgets, um, when you you know have uh, get a nice arrest to bring in some nice cash, and the courts allow you to keep that, um, that funding there alone helps uh, buy additional equipment. It also helps with uh, uniforms uh, and training of officers. Mm. So it's a definite uh, motivator. How much does uh, corruption factor into this? Where you know maybe they don't even actually smell any weed, but they say they do, or they or they get a dog to alert when it's not really alerting. I'm not going to go as far to say it's corruption, but I'm going to say as far as uh, some, uh, let's address the ethics issue on that. Uh, okay. uh, having worked with canine units, both in the military and out into uh, the street and in uh, law enforcement, um, it, it's a definite. It's kind of a given. Uh, it's almost like going out and saying, well, you know, it's, we're doing traffic enforcement for operating a vehicle under the influence of alcohol. So it's uh, very easy to assumptively say that uh, someone went left of center, someone didn't make a full stop at the stop sign, so you're going to make an arrest, you're going to ask them to get out and participate in the field sobriety test and so forth. That same mentality and that same training bleeds over into when you're out doing a uh, traffic enforcement for uh, drug awareness or you know drug stops to see what you can uh, find at that time. Um, it's simple to say that, uh, you know, I smell cannabis, um, do you have any in that car? And from there, the conversation's on. Law enforcement are trained very well as to, uh, I guess, as a defense attorney would be, or even a prosecutor would be, to uh, lead a witness or lead a suspect into uh, saying something that they probably shouldn't say. Always best advice to uh, keep your mouth shut and invoke that uh, right to remain silent in those kind of situations, I imagine. We're speaking with uh, Tim Johnson. He's a former or he's a retired uh, patrol officer in the state of Ohio and a speaker with law enforcement against prohibition. You can find their website at leap.cc, L-E-A-P dot C-C. And uh, with respect to that, uh, you know, what we we're just talking about on the uh, uh, the traffic stops, is there a, is there a point at which the the police focusing on marijuana is actually detrimental that it's actually taking away from focusing on other crimes oh most definitely um the overall uh function of law enforcement focusing on the uh drug war as an overall aspect um takes away law enforcement from the uh, areas of schools that need protection and need safety it takes them away from the neighborhoods uh, takes them away from the businesses and so forth uh, to, uh, you know, go out on the traffic, the high traffic areas, and uh, patrol them. Um, traffic stops are rather easy. Uh, I'm not going to make light of them. They're very dangerous for law enforcement. We know that's the number one reason for the loss of life in law enforcement. 
Um, but it's very easy to go out and enforce traffic laws uh, to look for violations and so forth, but it definitely does take away from other areas that they could be patrolling and focusing on uh, more more so for the community as a whole. Another uh, aspect of policing that's come under uh, under scrutiny, in, especially in Ohio, considering the Cleveland case of Tamir Rice, is the interaction between patrol officers and members of minority communities, the black community, Latino community. We've seen the stats that show you know, marijuana enforcement is very disproportionately uh, racially enforced. But now that we've legalized marijuana in a few states, we still see that what arrests remain – are still racially disproportionate. Is is this a function of, I mean, has the drug war created this racial divide or is it just exacerbating it? Um, I think the drug war is exacerbating that problem. Um, and law enforcement is the way that they're handling it by going and focusing, going after those uh, specific neighborhoods um and uh, actually, that used to, you know, I did a lot of uh, community relations was one of my specialties while I was in law enforcement. And it's, it's quite easy for them to uh, focus and go after those um, neighborhoods uh, that are predominantly have social economic problems and so forth, where they're more condensed. Uh, the more people that's there, the more likely you're t- able to find some type of a crime and so forth. Um, in reference to the legalization of marijuana and cannabis in the state uh, to me myself what i call it is re-legalized and it's really not even legal all they've done is um, uh employed more laws that law enforcement have more tools actually for law enforcement to go out and enforce those laws as well even though they say it's legalized and now they're going to go out and they're going to uh, check to see if you're following the, what they call the legalized laws so it's a definite tool to help law enforcement out either way you look at it Currently in the state of Ohio, your legislature is working on a really restrictive medical marijuana bill, and then there's also a citizen's initiative to try to have a more expansive medical marijuana bill. Uh, are, are law enforcement there opposing that as well, the medical aspect? Well, you got me right on the nose there. I've been working since last September with the legislators down at our state house, senators and representatives alike. Um, I put a lot of time into it. Um, I personally have a, uh, a Facebook page called Ohio Cannabis Safety First, where we address a lot of the issues on there. And coming in the first of June, uh, Cannabis Safety First, I'll be launching a website page addressing a lot of that stuff. Um, but as I said, uh, we've been working with the legislature, bo- the body there at the state house. And yes, um, the law enforcement people that have came and talked and, and opposing the relegalization of some medicinal cannabis in the state of Ohio. Uh, when you get them alone and talk to them outside of the public eye, they're more open to it. But um, as one of the chief deputies, uh, yes, or Tuesday of this week, I testified in front of the Senate committee myself, and a chief deputy from one of our counties here came and testified. And uh, he kind of hit it on a point. When he testified, he's doing what he has to do according to the administrative rules, guidelines, and policies of his career field. Um, but after I talked with him out in the hall, it was a whole different viewpoint of how he looked at it and how law enforcement in general uh, realized that cannabis isn't really the problem on the streets. There's a lot more uh, the opiate problem, the, the meth problem, and so, so forth. But 
It's just that marijuana is an age is an easy tool, or, or I guess uh, an easy violation to go after because it's so um, evident. It's it's just out there. It's everywhere. It's on the street corners. It's you know in our schools, in our businesses, our workplaces. Uh, it's just out there everywhere. So it makes it easy for law enforcement, but uh, to to use that and go after. But yeah, there is a bill here. Um. As of yesterday, when I was at the, task, or at the uh, Senate hearing, they uh, moved it to a Senate bill. And um, people here aren't real happy with uh, some of the changes that were made in it. Uh, so there's a lot of pushback on it now. The uh, group uh, Marijuana Policy Project is here in Ohio pushing a citizen initiative-driven bill. Hopefully that will make it to the ballot, and it is moving strong. They are collecting signatures daily, so we're looking at that to be on the ballot in November. If the legislators have been told, if they don't want that in the Constitution, then what they need to do is trump that language. And at this point, they're quite a ways from trumping that language. They've <laughs> actually made it more difficult. Yeah. Well, uh, Tim Johnson, I also noticed uh, that you're working with the Ohio Cannabis Nurses Association on this, and we appreciate you uh, putting that work in. Before we let you go, is there any other contact information aside from that Facebook page you want to let people know about? Um, well, at this time, you can uh, go to our uh, Ohio Cannabis Safety First page on uh, in Facebook. And as I said, in June, uh, we'll be launching a national um, company cannabis safety first um which will uh address a lot of safety issues a lot of security issues around this industry and as well as others there's also the ohio rights group i've been consulting with as well as the uh aforementioned uh a association you mentioned that i've been consulting with um there's a multitude of uh different agencies or different associations and organizations here in Ohio that are trying to work together as a team effort to get something done. I've been doing a lot of consulting with. So. Well, thank you for doing that. Tim Johnson with Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. We appreciate you talking to us today. Thank you, Russ. This is Good the Russ Bill Show on CannabisRadio.com. Every screen, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Cannabis Confidential with Dr. Dina. Candid. I want to give you the inside story. Captivating. I want to introduce you to my kind and amazingly talented friends. Compelling. We get to meet some of the most amazing cannabis activists and warriors around. Listen in as medical marijuana pioneer Dr. Dina shares never-before-heard stories, chats with cannabis insiders and celebrity friends, and provides invaluable perspective and insight into one of the fastest-growing industries in the world. I want to share with you what was once confidential information. Let's expose the truth, discuss the issues, and learn the facts. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. 
You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election year. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical Rant. Today in the Radical Rant, I want to talk a little bit about the ongoing campaigns to legalize marijuana and those who are opposing them. We've already talked with our law enforcement against prohibition professional who explained quite uh, readily that the uh, law enforcers are against marijuana legalization because, A, it cuts into their bottom line, takes money away from grants and asset forfeitures that they could use, and, B, that it's a handy tool. That's a handy tool to get around our constitutional rights to merely be able to say they smell weed or to say they're dog alerted and then escalate the situation into a search and an interrogation and a possible arrest. So it's become clear why the cops are against marijuana legalization. What's not so clear is why some pot smokers are against marijuana legalization. I look particularly at the state of California where my Facebook feed gets clogged up from time to time with longtime medical cannabis activists who've you know gone through court cases and, and major uh, travails who are in opposition to the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. And this tends to come down to three basic uh, problems they've got with it. Number one, they say it's too long. I don't know why that's a problem in a law, but apparently there's a limit as to how many pages long it should be. And if it's too many pages long, it's a bad law. Really? No, I'm, I'm not kidding. That's what some of these people are telling me. Oh, I waded through those 62 pages. Oh, my God. It was so long. Those 62 pages of laws. Oh, those 62... Why does the number of pages or how long a law is have anything to do with how good or bad that law might be? All these people that are complaining about it, a lot of them, I should say, can't say all of them, but a lot of them are people that are incredibly fond of Prop 215. They think Prop 215 is the bee's knees. It's the number one thing that was ever passed by any group or or government ever. Prop 215 is a miracle. It's a beautiful thing. And, and there's no doubt about it. It was the first medical marijuana law, and it's very open-ended uh, as far as those go. But if a long law is bad, then is a short law good? Because Prop 215 in California is 11 lines long. It's one of the shortest initiatives I've ever seen. Does anyone think that Prop 215 
solve the problem of medical marijuana in California? Well, certainly not if you take a look at all the places that have both indoor and outdoor cultivation bans. If you look at all the places that do not have access for patients because they don't have dispensaries, they've banned uh, any marijuana licensees. It would seem to me that those 11 lines didn't really flesh things out very well to explain how medical marijuana should run in the state of California. It's been the past 20 years of the legislature and the city councils and these county commissions all fighting over those 11 lines, all coming up with different interpretations of those 11 lines. So don't tell me that 62 pages of Adult Use of Marijuana Act is no good. It seems to me that someone took the care of writing up those 62 pages to try to address all of the questions, all of the gray areas that might be created by legalization, unlike Prop 215, which is one big gray area. The whole damn law is a gray area. The number two uh, problem these people have with the Adult Use of Marijuana Act is Sean Parker. Oh, no. A very, very rich person ponied up a million dollars for legalization. That must be bad. I, I can't tell you how many states that I visit that have strong activism groups who would kill for a million dollar donation to push reform. But no, this 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 buys into that old hippy dippy anti authority uh anarchist point of view that if it's big money, if it's big government, if, if there's money involved, if there's capitalism or commerce involved any way whatsoever, oh my God, it must be evil, must be bad. Sean Parker, why he's a billionaire and billionaires per se are bad. Really, that's, that's what I'm hearing coming from some of these people and reading on their Facebook posts about what a terrible evil ogre Sean Parker is for kicking in a million dollars to get marijuana legalized. Because, of course, you know, if he's kicking in a million dollars to get it legalized, well, obviously, he's trying to monopolize it. He's trying to set it up so he can be the only rich guy on marijuana, which makes no sense whatsoever. Sean Parker's plenty rich. He don't need no more rich. He got plenty of rich. And Sean Parker's money and, and wealth comes from the tech sector, Facebook and MySpace and all these other things he's invested in. Sean Parker's money would be so much better spent on what Sean Parker knows how to do. If Sean Parker was in this to make a whole bunch of money, he'd be looking into buying the next big startup, the next big dot com. The money for him is not in legalizing marijuana. Sean Parker's not going to become some grow billionaire or something. He's in this because he believes that it should be legalized. Period. So, so for people to cast aspersions at this $1 million donation, like Sean Parker, some sort of evil tech genius Lex Luthor who's going to come in and dominate the marijuana industry and kick us all out, is ludicrous. And then the number three observation I get from these people all the time is that it's going to ruin medical marijuana. It's going to destroy medical marijuana. Medical marijuana will be destroyed by legalization. And in this scenario, they like to point up to Washington State. See what happened to Washington State? It's I-502 all over again. Except the Adult Use of Marijuana Act allows home grow, unlike I-502. And not only that, guarantees home grow rights that cannot be 
banned by any locality, unlike I-502 and unlike Prop 215, for that matter. And, of course, uh, I-502 said a five nanogram per se DUID that the Adult Use of Marijuana Act does not set. And many other ways that I could list where the Adult Use of Marijuana Act is far superior to Washington's I-502. But the wailing and gnashing of teeth you'll hear from some of these people online is, oh, my God, it's going to destroy medical marijuana. It'll be terrible. It'll be terrible. We'll only be able to grow six plants and not 99. First of all, there's not a whole lot of people with medical marijuana recommendations that are growing 99 plants. But those who are will still be able to. These people want you to think that the Adult Use of Marijuana Act is replacing Prop 215. It's not. In fact, it indicates many times that the Compassionate Use Act is to remain as is. Now, I know we said the same thing in Oregon with our Measure 91, that it shouldn't touch the medical marijuana program, and it did. And I've even written myself that you cannot legalize medical mar- you cannot legalize marijuana without affecting medical marijuana because medical marijuana is an exception to prosecution under prohibition. If the prohibition goes away, what are you accepting anymore? What are you giving an exception for? So yes, medical marijuana will be affected by passing the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, but guess what? It would be affected by passing any legalization. It will be affected by any legalization that passes. So are we to deny healthy people, minorities, young people, the opportunity to get out from underneath the oppressive yoke of prohibition just because it doesn't leave medical marijuana perfect? I would argue that legalization actually improves medical marijuana because now you don't got to go see a doctor. All you got to do is go to a pot shop and buy the weed you want to buy or grow the weed in the house that you want to grow. It's improving medical marijuana, especially in those places in California like Lake County, Fresno, where they're not allowing any cultivation whatsoever. But the Adult Use of Marijuana Act would guarantee you could at least grow a six plant indoor garden. That's an improvement on medical marijuana. I'm reminded of something Chris Conrad uh, posted the other day. Chris Conrad, of course, a longtime California medical marijuana expert, uh, court certified experts, testified in numerous cases. And he points out that when he was working with Jack Herrer on The Emperor Wears No Clothes, he was one of the guys, I've seen the pictures, he was one of the guys in the kitchen table helping to edit and put together The Emperor Wears No Clothes. And when Prop 215 came up, Jack Herrer was against it. Jack Herrer was against Prop 215 because he said, the problem with Prop 215 is it'll set up a medical marijuana industry that'll become entrenched and it will resist any attempts to continue further legalization. Once again, Jack was right. If you are opposing the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, you are on the same side as Kevin Sabet, the California Police Chiefs Association, the Riverside Sheriff's Association, the California Correctional Officers Association. You're in bed with all the cops who want to throw me in jail. And I can't abide that. That's all the time we got for Hour 1. Stay tuned. Hour 2 is next. Toker Talk Radio. Radical Russ here in Washington, D.C. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers.
This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can toke. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Potland, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy poop dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonta Graphics, the sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, welcome back, Tokers and Tokets, non-Token Lovers of Liberty as well. Radical Russ here in Washington, D.C. Yes, I'm at the Lombardi, Hotel Lombardi. You couldn't find a better hotel for a Packers fan. So I got myself, this is a pretty good time to be in Washington, D.C. Coming up next week is the normal uh, National Lobby Day. So that's that's really while I'm here is, is next Monday and Tuesday is National Lobby Days here for normal. But it turns out tomorrow there is another one of these protests. Now, I was last here in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago, and I got to meet Adam Eidinger and the D.C. Cannabis Campaign. And these guys were having... Uh, a seed giveaway, a weed and seed giveaway in front of the White House at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, just four blocks away from where I'm at right now. And it was at that event that the uh, Secret Service moved us off of Pennsylvania Avenue and over onto H Street. But the uh, giveaway went on as planned. And after I left D.C., the next thing we heard about was how the Obama administration is going to meet with those protesters. And it's kind of an interesting situation because the week before, uh, they had done the protest the uh, or a couple weeks before they had done the April second protest where they brought the big fifty one foot joint that says Obama reschedule now and walked that in front of Pennsylvania Avenue and normal founder Keith Strop wrote a, a blistering article about it 
kind of calling him out for you know old school tactics and we're so far we're, we're making it so far now why do this kind of clownish behavior and 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 so forth and it, and it ruffled a lot of feathers and sad to say it turns out that keith may have been wrong on this one because after they did their protest they indeed got a meeting with the obama administration but it was a low-level staffer it was really just kind of a hey we'll talk to you so maybe they'll go away kind of thing uh they're not going away uh, the latest post uh, from Alternate, Philip Smith on Alternate, says that uh, they are going to protest Friday in front of the White House, uh, protesting for descheduling. And that's been their point here. It's like, you know, the Obama administration's come back and said, oh, we're moving forward on medical marijuana and so forth. And yeah, that's nice. But the point is we need to deschedule marijuana. And President Obama has the power to do so. He keeps deferring it. He keeps saying, oh, you know, uh, gee, it's something Congress needs to look at. Gee, if Congress did something. No, the Controlled Substances Act gives you the power, Mr. President, through a stroke of your pen to initiate the proceedings for descheduling of cannabis. And that's what these D.C. guys are getting to. So Friday, tomorrow, they're going to be rallying at the White House at 520 on May 20th. Now, there's a reason why 520 actually has some uh, meaning. May 20th is Harry J. Anslinger's birthday. So we're going to have a 520 protest on 520 in front of the White House. I'm going to head down there tomorrow. So just giving you a heads up, no hour two tomorrow. Uh, Actually, wait, no. My show starts at six. So I'll head down. (laughs) Well, what time zone am I in? Wait a minute. It's Eastern time. Okay. So no, my show starts at six. So I will head down there at five, 520 and see if I can get some uh, interviews and some audio. And then race back here to the show and uh, bring that audio to you. So we'll, we'll do some coverage tomorrow of the uh, event. It's going to include DC Cannabis Campaign and Weed for Warriors. Mass Cannabis Consumption and Escalated Civil Disobedience. And uh, yeah, we're going to protest on Harry J. Anslinger's birthday. So we'll bring you that tomorrow on the show as well as our special interview with uh, Mickey Norris and Lauren Vasquez, who are going to be talking up the Adult Use of Marijuana Act in California. We'll also take your calls if you've got any questions on the act. That's coming up tomorrow. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. It's time to hemp present with Anadina Stanger. I say to you with all the fervor of my soul that God intended men to be free. Rebellion against tyranny is a righteous cause. And I believe that with every ounce of my soul, we are fighting a righteous cause because people need nature. Marijuana! Hemp presents only on Cannabis Radio. Marijuana! 
You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Christian convictions are under attack as never before. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Eight after the hour here in Washington, D.C., and we are taking a look at some of the uh, data. We In our Drug War Data Minds, we talked a little bit about seniors and their use of marijuana and their use of uh, 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 drugs. And I decided to go back and take a look at the actual data tables. So I, I pulled up uh, the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, uh, Table 1.12A, which is marijuana use in the lifetime, past year, past month by detailed age categories. Okay, so looking at this, in the age 50 to 54 group, in 2009, there were just over a million tokers, 1.093 million. And then at the 55 to 59 group, 720,000, 60 to 64, there were 322,000, 65 or older, 209,000. So somewhere close to 2 million, uh, 2.2, 2.3 million. If we want to talk about how many tokers there were, let's do the actual addition here. 720 and 322 and 209 gives us 2.344 million. This was 2009. So we're talking seven years ago. Okay. So for the 2009 survey, drug use and health age 50 and older, 2.344 million tokers. So looking at the most recent numbers, 2014 is our most recent numbers. Age 50 to 54, we have 1.251 million age 55 to 59 1.578 million 60 to 64 763 million thousand and 65 and older 575,000 so we add those up the 1251 and the 1578 and the 763 and the 575 and we get 4.167 million So from 2009 to 2014, a five-year span, we went from 2.3 to 4.1 million tokers over the age of 50. Pretty significant. Looking at the 65 and older, remember 65 and older, there was 200 million, 209 million 65 and older five years ago, 575,000 now. So from 209,000 to 575,000, for people over 65, it's more than doubled. In five years. Now, those are raw numbers. It might not tell us an accurate picture, 
because we have this demographic bubble of baby boomers, this big cohort. So as those people get older, there's just more of them, right? So let's look at it as percentages. When we look at marijuana use in the past Past month marijuana use is what we're talking about, by the way, because I consider, you know, if you're only smoking once uh, a year, you're not really a toker, right? So looking at past month use for people 55 and 50 and older, 50 to 54, 4.9% reusing. And then at 55 to 59, it's 3.9%. At 60 to 64, it's 2.1%. And 65 and older, 0.6%. So anywhere from 06 to almost 5%, from the ages of 50 on up. That was 2009. Looking at 2014, it's 5.3, 7.6, 4.4, and 1.3. So even the percentages are up of all these people that are using. So as a comparison, again, 65 and older was only half a percent. Only one out of 200 people 65 and older were using pot once a month. It's up to 1.3 now. So again, more than double. For the 60 to 64 is 1.9 went up to 4.4. More than double. For the 55 to 59, it went from 3.1 to 7.6. Again, more than double. And looking at 50 to 54, it went from 4.9 to 5.3. Not much change at that level. But from 55 on up, Certainly, over the past five years, we have at least doubled the number of seniors that are using marijuana at least once a month. Good for them. That's all from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. By the way, if you want to look up these numbers for yourself, because I encourage you to, don't trust me. Look it up for yourself. You can find such a treasure trove of information at the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, which can be found as part of the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Agency or SAMHSA, S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov. So if you go to S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov, you can find all this data I'm talking about, not just the survey on drug use and health, but also the admittance to uh, drug rehabs, that's uh, in substance abuse facilities data and TEDS data, and other mental health data as well. If you're having any troubles finding this stuff, just email me. You can email me, RadicalRuss at gmail.com, and I'll send you the links you need to get started. Nothing better than winning a marijuana argument using the government's own data. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. Now, one of my least favorite things. Um, we have some great uh, listeners out there who show up in the uh, chat room, and oftentimes they deliver to me news that I have missed and since I don't focus on cocaine much, uh, I miss this story. But it's another sad story out of Texas. You remember we told the story uh, a while back of the African-American woman in Texas who got pulled over and uh, harassed. And the cop said he was going to pull her out of the car and light her up with his taser. And then, uh, you know, he claimed that he found some marijuana and then took her to jail and they found her dead in jail. Supposedly, she hung herself with a plastic plastic bag, right? Remember that story? Well, we've got another. We've got another story. This is coming out of Houston Press. HoustonPress.com. Young African-American woman, Simone Marshall, age 22, died after two weeks in the Walker County Jail. 
What had happened is she had a rollover accident on I-45. State troopers who showed up on the scene found her in possession of cocaine. And so they took her to jail. Uh, So when the paramedics responded to the rollover, they didn't notice any obvious injury. And the woman refused medical treatment. A second passenger in the car was also charged with possession of cocaine and bonded out the next day. But the woman, Marshall, had her bond set at $5,000 and couldn't, couldn't make bail. And, you know, when you make bail, some of you, if you've kept your nose clean, you may not know about this. But when you get busted, they set your bail. And then you can usually call a bail bondsman if you're in the state. You can call a bail bondsman. And they will post the 5000 for you if you pay them 500 Right. It's a 10, usually a 10 percent deal. So what we've got here is a woman who couldn't come up with 500 bucks. And this is a a vastly underreported part of our criminal justice system. And that is this use of bail in a way that basically incarcerates you for being poor. If I got arrested on a $5,000 bail and I had to come up with 500 bucks on the spot to get out of jail, it would take some time. And I don't even know if I could pull it off. I'd have to make, I'd have to hope that the right people are home when I make the phone calls. And when you're in jail, they don't let you use your cell phone. So you got to memorize all these phone numbers and who memorizes phone numbers anymore. But this is an epidemic in this country of people. And and this isn't noted, you know, when those, um, when the Kevin Sabets of the world say, well, you know, very few people are in jail or prison for marijuana. It's like 0.2% or something, right? They always like to make this excuse to, to minimize prohibition, which always brings up the point, well, gee, if so few people are in prison for it, why do we bother keeping it illegal in the first place? But aside from that, those stats don't count people who are in jail because they're awaiting trial because they, because they can't bond out because they can't make bail. Those stats don't pick those people up. They're awaiting trial. They haven't actually been convicted of anything. They're just charged with something. The only thing that's keeping them in jail is not having money. They're in jail for being poor. They haven't been proven guilty of anything. They're still innocent until proven guilty, even if they're poor. So thousands and thousands of people are languishing in jails right now just because they don't have the money to make bail. And this woman, Simone Marshall, was one of them. So she's in jail for two weeks. Uh, She gets on the phone with her family several times, tells her family that her head hurts and she feels like she's going to black out. And they called the jail. The family called the jail and said, hey, look, she says her head hurts. You know, get her to a doctor. The jail says, oh, well, we we took her to a doctor in jail. And they're like, well, look, no, take her to a hospital because she's blacking out. She's got a head injury. Well, they didn't. And so on May 10th, she had a seizure, was immediately taken to the hospital then where she was pronounced dead. So the Texas Rangers are investigating this because that's their job. They investigate any in-custody deaths. The sheriff there in Walker County says his department followed proper protocols. Isn't that always always the case? Well, we did everything we were supposed to do. We followed we followed the rules. You ever stop to consider that maybe the rules need fixing? If a woman is in an 
in a rollover car accident. You take her to the hospital. You don't offer her the option. And when her family is calling up saying she's got head trauma, you don't just shrug it off. Being jailed should not be a death sentence. We should feel confident that worst case scenario, you're the wrong person, the wrong place, the wrong time. You're misidentified. A terrible sequence of events leads you to being in jail for reasons you don't belong there. You shouldn't worry about dying. Leave us exit stage left. By the way, the, uh, the other woman I was speaking about, Sandra Bland was her name. Something tells me that um, had this uh, woman been the white daughter of the mayor or something, maybe they'd have gotten her some medical attention. But ah, just another black lady. She's just complaining. They left her to die. Earn your PhD in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. You're not high. You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We need to build a wall. Okay, maybe you're high, too. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. I just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. 
Welcome back, everybody. 23 after the hour, live from Washington, D.C. We're going to take a look at the other Washington, though. Washington State, up in the Pacific Northwest, one of the first two states to legalize cannabis. Some updates there going on in Washington. Q13 Fox in Seattle tells the story of the King County Council having a meeting and hearing from rural homeowners who want marijuana grow operations banned. One resident said, quote, we come to you and ask you to stop this now, not a week from tomorrow, not a year down the road, but stop it now. Another resident said the odor It's always the odor, noise, the industrial look of high security fences and security lighting, increased traffic, fear of crime and plummeting property values. So what they're talking about is the rural areas. Now, King County is where Seattle's located, but it does have some unincorporated rural areas, places like Enumclaw, which is where a couple of these people are talking about. And for this, I just have to go back to the the restrictions that these type of people demanded for marijuana are part of the reason why they're dealing with the problems they're dealing with now. For instance, they've got this uh, problem they call pot shop clustering near the unincorporated areas of Skyway and White Center. So all these pot shops have kind of clustered in one area. Well, the reason that happens is because when you pass these legalization laws, all these NIMBYs, not in my backyard people, require all of these restrictive zoning settings, like you have to be a thousand feet away from a school or a park or a playground or a church or a youth center or a rehab center or a halfway house or another dispensary. And when you set up so many exclusionary uh, zones, then you're left with just a few zones where people can set up. And that's what creates the clustering that they're all worried about. If, if you were to allow pot shops and allow marijuana grows in more places, they wouldn't end up being all clustered up. The other thing about this is when they complain about the odor, the noise, high security fences, security lighting, traffic, fear of crime, plummeting property values. Those are the same kind of things that we could level against, uh, you know, a feedlot, a pasture with cows and the smell of cow manure how many places in washington state deal with the smell of a paper pulp processing plant with that terrible terrible smell that comes off of those i guess what i'm trying to say here is there's a lot of things in a city that can smell pot being one of the least of them But if we want to see these things go away, if you don't want to have such high security fences and lighting and traffic and all that, increase the access, increase the places where marijuana can be grown. Allow larger farms in farm use areas. Washington State still has these caps on how big their marijuana processes can be. They still have bans on out. Well, no, they got outdoor cultivation in Washington. It's Colorado that doesn't have outdoor cultivation, excuse me there, but open it up more so that people don't have to have it all clustered into one location and, and make it more accessible. So the price continues to come down and the need for major high security fences and problems that these people are dealing with can be ameliorated. 
can be spread out. Fortunately, the um, the county uh, is moving slowly on this. The King County Council member Rob Rod Dem. Dembowski said, quote, what we have to decide is whether or not we want to require setbacks between pot shops. Some jurisdictions do. To date, we have not. But I want to make sure we are legislating based on we aren't legislating based on fear, but on reality. And that's what a lot of this is. A lot of this is is people that just don't like weed and they're coming up with excuses why they're going to hate it. Another development in Washington state is the establishment of pot pesticide levels. The state liquor and cannabis board has set for allowable levels on unapproved pesticides. And basically they've taken Oregon's rules and adopted them for Washington state. So now they'll there'll be allowable levels of unapproved pesticides, right? So already with the uh, approved pesticides, they've got, you know, levels set. But these are for non-approved pesticides because there was complaints that there's no possibility you can get down to zero on a lot of these chemicals. Uh, they're the kind of things that can drift through the air from nearby food crops and, and, and provide a, a, you know, a tiny reading on on the uh, on the tests so there has to be some you know it's it's like and i hate to tell you this because it's true but uh like for example chocolate bars there is a minimum level or a maximum level of rat droppings and insect parts that are allowed in chocolate did you know that yeah yeah there's a minimum allowed level of rat droppings and insect parts in your chocolate it's like in the billionths, right? You know, one part per billion, billion or whatever. It's minuscule. You'll never notice it, right? But it recognizes the fact that it's impossible, impossible to make food-grade chocolate without there being a microscopic, minuscule amount of rat droppings and or bug parts. Kind of, It's kind of disgusting, I know, but it's just reality. Right. Nothing is perfect. Right. And that's what these rules are recognizing is when it comes to the pesticides, nothing's going to be perfect. So there are these tiny minimal amounts that they're going to allow now in Washington state. And the reason they have to do this, the states have to do this is because the EPA is the federal agency that's normally in charge of this, figuring out what kind of pesticides you can use on apples and corn and wheat and so forth. But, of course, the FDA can't tell you what pesticides are allowed on cannabis because as far as the FDA is concerned, cannabis doesn't exist. It's an illegal crop and nobody's allowed to farm it with any pesticides of any kind. So, once again, we have this situation where the states are having to kind of make do, make this up as they go for the lack of the federal government being involved in it in any way. And it's it's frustrating, but... So far, if Oregon and Washington have adopted similar standards, and we may have this set up in California once they pass the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, and Colorado already has its Marijuana Enforcement Division that has uh, st- standards for these pesticides, we just may end up where the first legal states are going to set the standard, and then that will be what the federal government eventually adopts anyway. 
The other change that's happened in Washington State, this is a big one, and has some people concerned. It's allowing out-of-state financiers in the marijuana industry. Allowing out-of-state money to come into the state of Washington to fund marijuana businesses. Now, it had been a residency requirement. You had to have a six-month residency to be in the legal pot industry in Washington State, but they dropped that on Wednesday. They still have to go through criminal background checks. They could only loan money to business owners, and they couldn't own stakes or control in Washington companies. They could just finance Washington pot. Now, smaller growers in Washington State are upset about this because they say it gives larger growers an advantage. With the state's cap on total farm area, I mentioned that before, they have a hard limit on how much land can be used for marijuana growing. Not, it's not based on, on demand. You know, it's an estimate. Oh, we think people will need this much marijuana, and for that you need X square feet, and that's what we'll allow. And, of course, when they first did this, this led to prices as high as $25 a gram because they didn't grow enough marijuana for the demand. Now they've got too much marijuana for the demand and the prices are crashed. But with this cap on total farm area, the small growers say the only way for growers to expand is by buying or partnering with failing farms. So if you're a small guy and you know Bob and his farm is going out of business, you could buy up Bob's farm and double your farm. But what they're saying is that the large growers are going to have better ability to pull this off, especially now when they can attract out-of-state investors. On the other hand, some small growers argue that out-of-state financing helps because a lot of these smaller growers don't have access to capital and they might have family members or friends with money out-of-state that might loan it to them. So there hasn't been unanimous uh, opposition to this or unanimous uh, approval of this amongst the growing community, amongst the entrepreneurs there in Washington State. But I do believe this is a change we're going to see for a lot of these states. Uh, Oregon does not have a uh, out-of-state uh, limit of any sort. California is, in its Adult Use of Marijuana Act, is restricting the development of so-called mega farms, mega grows, uh, for five years. So there's going to be a five-year moratorium on, on big grows in California to try to allow the uh, existing industry players to get a foothold before you know, national interests jump in. The other thing that's concerning about this uh, out-of-state financing topic is the eventual repeal of federal prohibition. So long as it's been required that you had to be in-state financed, and so long as marijuana is a Schedule One federally prohibited drug, that has kept the big, big boys out of this game. That has kept Altria out. The, the former Philip Morris, right? It's kept all of the tobacco companies, all the alcohol companies out of this game. But if we remove these state uh, residency requirements and in the next five years, if the federal government drops the Schedule One designation of cannabis, we could see a flood of money into the currently legal states by some of these big, big capitalized investors. I welcome it myself. I, I don't fear the Walmart of weed. Some, some of our people do. They, they worry that, you know, Philip Morris comes in and they're going to make the Marlboro of weed. Uh, 
look, if it's if it's affordable and it's good, what's the problem? I don't think any of these mass producers are ever going to outproduce a skilled, small artisan grow. But they don't, they don't have to. Right. Budweiser makes Budweiser. Coors makes Coors. Miller makes Miller Lite. Right. All these beers sell quite well and they're not very good, but they're not bad. Right. They're just kind of a standard. Right. There's kind of a macro brew. The same thing's going to happen with cannabis. There's going to be the Marlboro of weed. There's going to be the Walmart of weed and you'll buy that weed and it'll be fairly cheap and it'll be fairly good. It'll be fine. It'll be good for a lot of your casual tokers. People that, you know, might do it once in a while. But you and me and the and the daily tokers out here, us reefer radicals, we're never going to stop enjoying fine, finely cultivated, artisan, connoisseur cannabis. There's room for everybody. You can be a small grower with high-end weed or you could be Budweiser with low-end weed. There's room for all of us and no need to fear more money coming into this because that just means quicker to becoming legal. We're going to take a break. Be back from Washington, D.C. right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's order. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. I said palm Yo, 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 this your boy, TJ, Trinidad James. You're listening to Dr. Bino on Cannabis Confidential. L.A., what up? People were so excited to see you supporting our industry, and it's so important to see people who are mainstream, who are out there, that people look up to. That was my first one ever going to, so that was definitely a big deal for me. It's not just, oh man, just come smoke a bunch of joints. It's a lot of science into it. It's way more interesting than a lot of people might think would look down, per se, on what we enjoy. Cannabis Confidential, only on CannabisRadio.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. 
Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 39 after the hour here in Washington, D.C. Make sure you join us tomorrow. We've got a great show, a special double interview with Mickey Norris and Lauren Vasquez from the Adult Use of Marijuana Act. Let's get it right, California. We're going to be talking about the Adult Use of Marijuana Act legalization in 2016. We'll also take your calls if you've got questions about how the Adult Use of Marijuana Act might impact medical marijuana or just your life in general. You can give us a call. It'll be tomorrow at half past. That would be 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific time. We'll also have some highlights of the D.C. Cannabis Campaign and Weed for Warriors protest on Harry J. Anslinger's birthday, which is tomorrow. Harry J. Anslinger's birthday, they're going to protest at 520 in front of the White House. I'll run out there, get some audio, and run back as quick as I can to uh, put it on the show for you. That's coming up on tomorrow's show. Check us out, the Russ Belleville Show, live on CannabisRadio.com, followed by the Stoner Jesus Show. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, Stoner Jesus is live at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The greatest podcast ever created. Check out Stoner Jesus. Winding things up here uh, for the weed news, though, I got a couple of other stories that I wanted to get to. Uh, one of them has to do uh, with football and Colorado. It's the Denver Broncos who play at what is called Mile High Stadium. And that's what I will always call it, ladies and gentlemen. It is Mile High Stadium. I don't care which corporation buys naming rights to it. It's Mile High Stadium. I, 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 I'm a longtime football fan, and for me, there's just some names that, you know, shouldn't be changed. I'm a, actually a longtime sports fan. I'm going to say sports as well because Portland's arena will always be the Rose Garden. I will never call it the Moda Center. It's the Rose Garden. But anyway, Mile High Stadium has had some other uh, names. And most recently, it's been called Sports Authority Field at Mile High Stadium. Sports Authority, of course, being one of these uh, big box sporting goods chains. Well, it's now uh, failing. (laughs) The Sports Authority people are going through bankruptcy and they can't afford the naming rights on the stadium, which is I'm looking for the price here. I don't know what what the cost will be, but anyway, it turns out now that uh, Open Vape, the makers of cannabis vaporizer cartridges, want the naming rights to the stadium. <laughs> they submitted a, propo- submitted a proposal for Open Vape to be called for it to be called uh, Open Vape at Mile High. Now I have a prediction. There's no chance in hell this is going to happen. I'm just telling you, there is no chance in hell this is going to happen. The NFL is never going to allow the Denver Broncos to have a pot company sponsoring the name of their stadium. They're never going to have a situation where the sports anchors on CBS, NBC, and ESPN, and Fox are regularly saying, coming to you from open vape at mile high. It's not going to happen. I want to be wrong on this. I'd love to be wrong on this. Please prove me wrong on this, but I don't see it happening. I do not see the NFL 
allowing this to happen. Now, the deal, the proposal from OpenVape is $6 million a year in a deal that's expected to last till 2021. So a five-year deal, $6 million a year, $30 million. Wow. Who knew OpenVape was making that much money, huh? <laughs> they got $6 million a year they can just blow on naming rights to a stadium. Hey, OpenVape, you can spend a whole lot less and sponsor my Radical Rant segment. <laughs> it can be a whole lot less than $6 million a year, I, prove, I assure you of that. Uh, but... Um, they point out the, the NFL players and the Gridiron Cannabis Coalition that are working with uh, medical marijuana to try to deal with chronic traumatic encephalopathy and, and, and concussions and all that. Of course, uh, Eugene Monroe, the current tackle for the uh, uh, Baltimore Ravens, has made news lately. Former players like Nate Jackson and Jake Plummer of the Denver Broncos are among others like uh, 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 Kyle Turley, Ricky Williams, uh, Jim McMahon, so many that are coming out now to say that the NFL needs to get get with it on medical marijuana. But I don't I, I just can't imagine that they're going to they're going to pull this off. I mean, they've got we've got now 25 states that we could call medical marijuana states, Louisiana passing its bill uh, just today to become the 25th. But I don't. I just can't I just can't imagine it. They've got some great concept stuff here on uh, newcannabisventures.com. They've got the the picture and a little video of what it would be like to have open vape at mile high. I don't see it happening, people. I just don't see it happening. All right, let me get to uh, a very important story that's up on maryjane.com. M-E-R-R-Y, Mary Jane. And it illustrates it goes into a subject that i've been talking about for a while and i've been warning people you know uh be careful what you wish wish for and the the title of the story is the downside to the dea rescheduling cannabis subhead the move could annihilate thousands of medical marijuana businesses currently in operation a lot of people aren't thinking of this but the controlled substances act sets marijuana as a schedule one drug right Absolutely no medical use, can't do anything with it, absolutely forbidden. The problem, though, is if you drop this down to Schedule 2, you're putting it in the same class as Oxycontin, morphine, opium, cocaine, and methamphetamine. Schedule 2 drugs have some pretty rigorous standards. Your your prescription it has to be limited can only be for like, I think 30 days or 60 days. You have to get, you have to get an in-person refill. You can't phone it in. Right. Very strictly regulated. So if cannabis gets moved down to schedule two, this could actually be devastating for some of these, you know, most of the medical marijuana companies that are flourishing in, in California for sure. But also a lot of these other States, Brandon Whitley, He's with Aquarius Cannabis says, quote, the cost to bring a schedule two drug to market is enormous to the level that not a single camp company in the cannabis industry right now could afford to do so. The knowledge gap between government regulators and outside companies that would come into the industry would be enormous and the industry as we know it would be dead. End quote. It's a very good point. You know, we got a situation. Uh, they uh, in Rolling Stone, they write. 
If the federal government determines that medical marijuana must be subjected to FDA approval, companies would have to enter a process that can take years to complete and cost more than $1 billion per product. Few, if any, cannabis companies in the U.S. have the resources for that, which might open the door for Big Pharma to muscle in and take over the business. Dean Heiser, chief legal strategist at LiveWell, one of Colorado's largest marijuana companies, says, quote, they could put every medical provider in the country out of business in a matter of months. And, of course, FDA approval for these kind of things has to be done in, you know, individual compounds, like when they got THC and they put it in a Marinol. Uh, we'll see the same thing with THCV, CBD, CBG, and so on. So the writer here says, imagine now that it's 2018. Every dispensary in every state with medical and recreational cannabis is either shut down or operating illegally. They've been institutionally replaced with a trip to Walgreens to get cannabis pills, which may be the only legal cannabis products on the market. The possession of flowers, hash, and edibles could be criminal offenses, and the cannabis black market and cartel trade routes could be gaining strength again. So the only real solution here is not rescheduling. It's descheduling. And they point out that Bernie Sanders introduced a bill to deschedule cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act, put it in the same class as cigarettes and alcohol, which are not classified by the DEA. Of course, it didn't get much support. No other senator stepped forward to co-sponsor the bill. And this is uh, a shame because descheduling would put it in a situation where the states could regulate it like they do alcohol and tobacco. And John Getman, uh, communications director for Normal, says, quote, this is not a matter of descheduling, as many have begun to describe it, as this term actually invokes the procedures of the Controlled Substances Act to remove a drug from its regulatory provisions. Instead, cannabis should be removed from the regulatory jurisdiction of the Controlled Substances Act and regulated by new laws modeled on federal regulations for alcohol and tobacco. Now, we are close to a decision on this. It's been said that in less than two months, by the end of June, it was promised that the DEA will make a decision on what to do about cannabis scheduling. And I'm telling you, if they come back with a decision that needs to be Schedule 2 or Schedule 3, we've got a big fight on our hands, people. Because Schedule 2 and Schedule 3 would make every medical marijuana dispensary in America operating outside of the law of the federal law. I mean, they they are already, but you know what I'm saying? It's the difference between going in with a raid and going in with an injunction. Once marijuana gets put to schedule two or schedule three, the battles go to the courts. The battles go to the FDA. They go to these regulatory agencies and we will lose these battles. This is why it's so important that we fight this battle for full cannabis legalization. That's why the Adult Use of Marijuana Act, it is critical that we pass it this year. There's no time to wait. These people that say, oh, we'll get a better deal in 2018. You may not. If it goes down in 2016 and then come 2017, we get a Republican administration or we get a rescheduling of cannabis, whatever you put on the ballot for 2018 might be dead on arrival, might be illegal before it's even passed. 
We have got to get as many states as we can in the legal whole plant cannabis category as soon as we can to make it impossible, to make it impractical for them to want to reschedule it to two or three and to try to roll back eight or nine or ten states that have whole plant cannabis out there. We can see that that, that medical is not the way to do that anymore. Louisiana just became the fourth state now in a row to have no plant medical marijuana, all pills, all inhalers, all oils. It's exactly the direction that rescheduling would take cannabis. The medical cannabis laws that you see now in Minnesota, New York, Pennsylvania, and now Louisiana are custom tailored for the rescheduling of cannabis. These medical cannabis laws where they they will allow you to have plant, but you can't grow it yourself. You have to buy it out of a, out of a dispensary. Think Michigan and Arizona, New York, I mean, I mean uh, Delaware, those kind of places. It won't be too hard for those states to get rid of all their plant inventory and switch to the Schedule 2 and Schedule 3 drugs. I'm telling you folks, the fight for whole plant cannabis is the fight for legalization and descheduling. Nothing else is going to work at this point. If we keep fighting for medical only, our marijuana will become only medical. We're back in just two minutes to wrap things up here from Washington, D.C. I'm Radical Russ. Stick around. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in CannabisRadio.com. Gondrepreneur.com, your guide to the cannabis business world. Gondrepreneur.com is a comprehensive resource for cannabis professionals and entrepreneurs. Download the Gondrepreneur app on your smartphone or tablet to catch up on cannabis industry news, scroll through our daily job listings, and learn about successful cannabis companies, executives, and investors. Gondrepreneur.com, helping Gondrepreneurs grow. It's time for Cannabis Facts About Alzheimer's from Robert Platshorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. A new Florida study in the journal Molecular and Cellular Neuroscience found that cannabis promotes the growth of healthy new brain tissue. It can slow the effects of Alzheimer's and may, in fact, be able to halt it entirely. A long-term study by Ohio State University's Professor Gary Wink concludes that people who regularly use marijuana get Alzheimer's at a much lower rate than others. This was Cannabis Facts from thesilvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I also believe we need a fence. The problem is if El Chapo builds a tunnel under the fence, we have to be able to deal with that too. Okay. Maybe you're high too. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? 
consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Quick breaking news coming out of the state of Rhode Island. The Senate there in the Ocean State has added PTSD as a medical marijuana qualifying condition and set up a fast track for hospice patients to be able to qualify for medical cannabis. Great news there. Also wanted to bring up uh, what's going on in Arizona. So Arizona's got a legalization initiative, the Campaign to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol, or CRIMLA, and that's the brand that MPP is using for their legalization. So there's a CRIMLA in Arizona, Nevada, Massachusetts, and Maine. There's four CRIMLAs, but this Arizona one... uh, has called on the leaders of the opposition to return the donations they receive from the alcohol industry. According to a report from the Phoenix News Time, New Times, Arizonans for Responsible Drug Policy, the anti-group, received $10,000 from the Arizona Wine and Spirits Association. Now, the people that are the opponents keep saying that they're against marijuana legalization because... It's too dangerous for adult use. But since marijuana is objectively less harmful than alcohol, it smacks of hypocrisy for them to be taking $10,000 from the harmful drug. Once again, they don't like to see any competition. They know people that are smoking weed don't drink as much. Good for them for calling out the alcohol industry. Folks, that's all the time we got for today. Live from Washington, D.C., I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Washington, it has passed. Uh, the uh, the news organizations are calling it. So they just Tell everybody in the red states how great legal weed is. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to legal weed here in the state of Oregon. It's the Russ Belleville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. Previously on the Stoner Jesus Show. St. Paul's doing good work. It's my great.